Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. If you are visiting with us here at Hope today, we are on a journey together as a family of faith, through the wonderful letter called in our Bibles, 1 Peter. If you have your Bible this morning, you can go ahead and open it to 1 Peter. If you have it, you can turn. It's almost right at the end of the Bible, 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 4 today. And as we've been walking through 1 Peter, there is a spiritual reality, if you will, that has kind of risen to the top. And I want to put that reality back up on the screen, and I want to read it out loud for you. Here's what we've looked at in 1 Peter. The Christian life is simply who you are in Christ, becoming Christ in you. That's really the essence of Christianity. It's who you are in Christ, becoming Christ in you. You've heard me say it before, but the truth is so real The greatest thing that could happen to any one of us as followers of Jesus is if we could simply begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. If we could begin to understand the identity that we have in Christ, it would set us free. And what Peter has been doing in this letter, in the first two and a half chapters, he laid down for us a foundation of who we are in Christ. And then for the remainder of this letter, what Peter is doing is he's giving us examples of what it looks like as we live out our new life in Christ. He first of all began with some very practical examples about family and work and government and what it looks like as we live out our relationship with Jesus in the public arena. But now in chapters 4 and 5, Peter has shifted a little bit to begin to talk about one specific aspect of our new life in Christ. And our new life in Christ, the specific aspect that Peter's talking about is that when we're walking in our newness in Christ, we begin to see life differently. Now, don't misunderstand me. Christianity and living the Christian life is more than just a change in our perspective, but one part of our new life in Christ is a changed perspective on life. We begin to see things differently. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we began this section of the letter, I talked to you about a 3D movie and how you can go in and sit down at a 3D movie and everybody in the theater is watching the same movie. But when you take the 3D glasses, right, and you put the 3D glasses on, now, even though you're watching the same movie, you are now seeing it very differently with these glasses on. Well, here's what Peter's saying. Because of our new life in Christ, we're still living on the same planet Earth that our friends that don't know Christ are living in. We're still living in the same, oftentimes same house, same city, same job, same environment. But the reality is that in Christ, we now begin to see life very differently. 
And Peter's been unpacking some big ideas of what this looks like. And I want to just remind you where we've come from so far. First of all, big idea number one. We said spiritual living is not driven by my desires, but it is consumed with the desires of God. There's an example. When we begin to live our new life in Christ, and that's what we're calling spiritual living. When we begin to live that out, we no longer live just based on what we want. We recognize that we've been brought into relationship with God, and now our desires should be what pleases Him. It's now no longer, as I look at life, what pleases me. It's now what pleases Him. And when we talked about it, remember we found out the more we're consumed with what pleases Him, guess what we find out? What pleases Him is what pleases me and brings me satisfaction and joy and contentment. So that was number one. Big idea number two, spiritual living is not a life that blends in, but a life that stands out. We talked about how Christ in you makes a difference in the way that you live your life every day. If Christ in you is not making a difference, if you think, well, hey, I'm a Christian, I just live like everybody else, you need to ask the serious question, am I really a Christian? Because Christ in you begins to do a work out of the overflow of the relationship that changes you from the inside out. And Peter said, as that happens, others are going to notice that. And here's what he said. Sometimes that will create opportunities for you to share the gospel with people. But other times that's going to create opposition. People are going to be opposed to who you are in Christ. And it's going to have some opposition in your life. Here's the third big idea we've looked at. Spiritual living is not distracted with this life, but is focused on the life to come. When we begin to see things differently... When we begin to see our lives through the lenses of Christ in us, we realize this life's not all there is. That there is a life yet to come, and this life is preparation for the life to come. And so last weekend, Pastor Brian dug deeper into that third uh, big idea, and he talked about what it looked like to live a life focused on the life to come. He talked about living a life enjoying communion with God, and building community with other believers. And what I want to do this weekend is dig a little bit deeper into that last principle as we bring this first section of this series to a close on spiritual living. Because as we continue to unpack this principle, Peter reveals a powerful truth about the life of a Christian. That one of the radical shifts that takes place in our lives is we begin to see the church very differently. We begin to see the church differently. So I want to give you the big idea that I'm going to unpack today. I want to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it once. It's a little bit long. Then I want us to read it together. It says, spiritual living sees the church not as a place that exists to meet my needs, but as a community where Christ in me can meet the needs of others. You see, before Christ... I saw the church as a place for me to go to meet my need. If I needed something, I go to the church. The church meets that need. But now that we're in Christ, we begin to see the church very differently. We don't just see the church as a place that exists to meet my needs, but we see the church as a community where Christ in me can now meet the needs of other people. So let's read it out loud one time together because everything I'm going to say is going to be summarized in this statement. Let's say it. Spiritual living sees the church. Not as a place that exists to meet my needs, but as a community where Christ in me can meet the needs of others. 
I want you to honestly take a minute and think about that statement. How do you see the church? Is the church a place that exists to fill you up, to encourage you, to meet your need, to help you with your issue? Or is the church a community where Christ in you can meet the needs of others? Remember how we talked in week one of this series that there's going to be a battle. You see, we all have Christ in us as believers, but we also have a flesh. And our flesh wars against Christ in us. So that our flesh reacts, right? When the church doesn't meet my need, I get upset about that. What is it in me that gets upset about that? Let me tell you what it is. It's my flesh. Because my flesh thinks the church is here to meet my need. And so as soon as the church doesn't meet my need, then I get upset. My flesh gets angry. My flesh gets frustrated. My flesh gets upset. My flesh reacts, right? That's our flesh. And what Peter's saying is, listen, now in Christ, we need to understand who we are in Christ and allow who we are in Christ to begin to live through us. And when he does, we see the church very differently. I want to give you a visual that I hope today will drive this principle home. I hope you remember this. What is this? It's a pot, right? It's a kitchen pot. Just a regular pot out of the kitchen. Now, a pot is designed to store what you put in it, right? It's designed to be poured into But then it's designed to store what you put in it, right? I mean, if it doesn't stay inside the pot in the kitchen, now you've got a what? you got a mess, right? Somebody's got to clean it up. It's put in the pot to stay in the pot. This is a lot of people at church. There are a lot of you sitting here today. Take this the right way. You're a pot. You came in with your pot, and you want it to be filled. You want your, listen, you come to church, you go to small group, and it's about getting my pot filled. Matter of fact, some of you are going to leave today, and you're going to say, well, it didn't really do much for me today. It didn't fill my pot. That one wasn't that good today, preacher. I know, I get your emails, I know. A pot is designed to store what you put in it. A lot of people think the church is where I bring my pot. I come to the church, and I get filled. I come to the church, and I get encouraged. I come to the church to get my pick-me-up. I come to the church to get uplifted. I come to the church so that somebody can make me feel better about myself. I come to the church for all to get my pot. Then I can take my pot home, and all week long, I can just draw out of my pot. But then I'm coming back next week, and I want my pot to be filled again, right? Show you another kind of pot. It's a watering pot. It's also designed to be filled. I mean, there's nothing in it. It's no good. But it's not designed to simply store that which it is filled with. You see, this pot is designed to pour out that which has been poured in. 
when I begin to see things through Christ in me, I no longer see the church as a place that exists to just fill my pot. Yeah, that's part of it. We need to be filled. We got nothing to give if we don't get filled. But when I... When I begin to grow in Christ, I begin to see the church not just as a place where I can be filled, but I see the church where Christ in me can pour out of me into the lives of other people. You see the difference? If that makes sense, say amen. amen. All right, let me show it to you in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, look at verse 10. Let's read it. Look what he said. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You hear you already hear it in verse 10. He says, "Everybody has received. Now, those who have received are to now use what they've received in Pouring into the lives in serving others. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength of God. You hear what he's saying there? Whether it's speaking, whether it's serving, whatever your gift is, he says we're to do it. It's literally not us. It's Christ in us. We're to speak as the utterances of God. We're to serve out of the strength which God's will. Why is that? Look what he says. So that. I've told you before, anytime you see those two little words, so that, it's important. That little phrase, so that, means here's the reason why. So that. In all things, God may be glorified. How? Through your serving? No, through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. How is it through Jesus? Because it's Christ in you, serving through you, that brings glory to the Father. He says, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, what I want to do with those two little verses is I want to try to unpack for you this truth. And what I really want you to leave here today and I want you to be able to think about is, what kind of pot am I? Everybody in here. Now, I thank God that at Hope, we we have a lot of water pots. I thank God for you. But everybody in here is one of these. And so what I want you to be able to do today is leave with an understanding, what is my life more reflect? you get that, say amen. Amen. All right. Let me give you five statements to unpack this principle. Number one, you have been given a grace gift. You've been given a grace gift. That's what he opens with here. He says, as each one has received a special gift. What's a grace gift? Why do you call it that? Well, the word here for gift in 1 Peter chapter 4 is a Greek word that we've actually transliterated and made it an English word. It's the Greek word, see if this sounds familiar, charisma. Sound familiar? we got an English word called charisma. Now, charisma and this Greek word aren't necessarily the same thing, but, but it's a word that's been drawn. It's the word charisma. Now, the word charisma comes from the root word charis. 
Everywhere in your Bible, the word charis is used. Do you know how it's translated? Grace. The word charis in Greek means grace. So this particular word, charisma, is a gift of grace. It is an undeserved benefit, a gracious, divine enablement. Here's the point. At the moment of salvation, believers are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve one another. Did you hear that? The very moment you got saved. The moment you repented of your sins and by faith embraced the gospel and were born again into the family of God, in that very moment, the Bible says the Holy Spirit of God gifted you with a divine enablement to be used in serving in the family of God. My seminary professor, Dr. Jimmy Milliken, said it this way. Look on the screen. He said this word charisma is the outward manifestation, not of that with which one is born, nor inherited through the womb of the mother, but what is implanted by the Holy Spirit when one is reborn. It is that which is accomplished in and through the believer by the Holy Spirit, which would otherwise not be accomplished. We're not talking about just talents or abilities that we have. We're talking about a supernatural, divine enablement. The Bible says, the Bible lists over 25 different spiritual gifts or grace gifts. I don't think the Bible gives us an exhaustive list. You can read about it in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 or Ephesians chapter 4. And in every list, it varies and it differs. I think it's just a sampling of all of the ways. And I don't think necessarily that God just gives us one gift. I think that we're going to read about this in just a moment. But that, that God will sometimes give a, a blend and a variety of gifting. But the point is that you have been given a grace gift. It's a grace gift. Who has this gift? Who's been given it? Well, he tells us in verse 10... Each one means everyone. I love the way Wayne Grudem said it. Each implies that every person in the fellowship of believers in every church to which Peter was writing, which includes us, has received a spiritual gift for use in the life of the church. I want to put a word up on the screen. Here's the word. Saved. If you are here today and you can say with certainty, I know that I am saved because of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. I have trusted in Christ. I've given my life to Jesus. I've been born again. I have a relationship with God. I'm going to heaven when I die. I am saved. If you can say that with confidence, just hold your hand up. Just keep it up. I am saved. Listen, you ought to hold your hand up with great joy that you are saved. But I want to put something else on the screen. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Saved equals gifted. Put your hands down. Here's what Peter is saying. If you are saved, you are gifted. 
We tend to think in the church, you know, people look at somebody else and what they're doing and say, well, you know, I'm just not gifted like them. I don't have that. Saved means gifted. The Bible says every single believer, meaning that there's no exceptions. Here's what that means. Every member of the family is valuable. Every member of the family of God is valuable. Why? Because you've been given a divine enablement by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to serve. And nobody else has been uniquely gifted like you. We're all valuable. Listen to what Paul writes. Paul wrote this same principle in 1 Corinthians 12. Look on the screen. Listen to what he says. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Imagine this morning you came in and sat down and next to you was a big eyeball. That'd be weird, right? I hope that would shock you. If the person next to you was you need all the parts of the body to be healthy and to function. That's what he's saying. If, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body. Listen to this. Just as he desired. The word placed means to assign. Here's what that means. God has given you. If God's connected you in this fellowship... God has given you a unique assignment in this fellowship that nobody else can do but you. God's given you an assignment. The word desired here is a word that means purpose. Here's what that means. The unique assignment that God has given you, He's given it to you so that we as a fellowship can accomplish the purpose that God brought us into existence to accomplish. Here's what that means. When God birthed Hope Church to accomplish His mission, the scriptures here teaching us that every person that's a part of Hope has been grace gifted with a unique assignment and we will not accomplish the mission God has for us unless all of us are functioning out of the overflow of Christ in us meeting each other's needs. November 1934, I have to think back a little bit, there was a revival crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. There's a man by the name of Mordecai Ham that was preaching. Now, probably hardly anybody in the room has ever heard of Mordecai Ham. But Mordecai Ham, in his day in the 1930s, was a very well-known traveling evangelist. When he'd come to town, set up his tent, the places were packed out. Over 200,000 people came to know Jesus Christ through the teaching ministry and evangelistic preaching of Mordecai Ham. So he sets up his tent, November 1934, Charlotte, North Carolina. And like everywhere else, it's packed. You can't get in. And after it had already started, two young teenage boys tried to come in the tent. And they couldn't find a seat anywhere. And so they just said, we're out of here. And they start heading for the door to leave the tent And one of the ushers sees them leaving, and he says, hang on. If you guys will wait right here, I'll find you a seat. And he did. He went and made some people move over, found two seats right down the front, went back, got the two teenage boys, brought them, and sat them right down on the front. And they sat through the service and listened to Mordecai Ham preach. At the end of the service, both of those two young men gave their lives to Jesus Christ. You may have never heard of Mordecai Ham, but I promise you, you've heard the names of one of those two teenage boys. Because one of them was named 
Billy Graham. Now, let me ask you a question. Billy Graham has preached all over the world and seen millions of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. In heaven, who's going to get the reward for that? Billy Graham? Mordecai Ham? Or the usher that just used his gift to do what God had called him to do and find those two boys to see? You see, here's the point. It took all of them. None of them by themselves could accomplish the mission of God. But each of them had a unique assignment. Each of them had been gifted in a unique way by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as they allowed who Christ in them was to live through them, God through them accomplished His mission. And here's what I want you to hear me say. You have been given a gift. You have a gift. Let me give you a second statement. Well, before I do, let me read this this quote. I love what John MacArthur said. He said, each believer's spiritual giftedness is unique. As if each were a spiritual snowflake or fingerprint. It is as if God dips his paintbrush into different colors or categories of gifts on his spiritual palette and paints each Christian with a unique blend of colors. I want you to hear me say this today. That's you. That's me. That's us. Because we're saved. The Holy Spirit of God has gifted us. We all have value. Second statement. You're responsible to use that gift in service to others. Look what he says. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. That that phrase, employ it in serving, is in the present active tense. It describes the, the ongoing continuous action, meaning that I'm to continuously look for opportunities. Last weekend, my wife and I celebrated our 23rd wedding anniversary. And so last weekend, we were away for the weekend, just enjoying one another's company and doing some things my wife loves to do, doing some things I love to do, and just hanging out together. So we went up, we, we hiked up in Red Rock, had the best time doing that. And then one of the things that I love to do that my wife always accommodates because it's not really her thing, but, but she lets me do it. I love, those of you who know me well know this, I love to eat in one of those restaurants where they like really take care of you. You know the kind where, where like they, they assign three waiters to your table? There's like somebody doing water, somebody else is doing this, somebody and 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 before you need anything, I mean you pick up one fork and they're already putting another one down on the table before you when you take one sip out of your water before it hits the table, somebody's right there pouring water into your cup. And they this is my favorite part. They have those little sticks. If you drop a crumb on the table, if I'd been a better parent, I would have gotten all of my children those sticks. And for 18 years of their life, they'd have just, when I was eating dinner. I love that. I love being in that kind of environment. I know it's not for everybody. Some of you, you're, you're going, yep, I like that. I like when somebody say, I, I will sometimes pick my restaurants based on the way that they serve you like that because I just enjoy good service. And here's what's interesting. Those servers are not waiting on me to say, hey, I need something. Before I even know I need it. They're already doing it. Say, why are you telling us that? 
The word employ in serving, the word serving here, in the Greek language, it literally means to wait tables. Here's the point. God has given me a gift. And I'm to live on the lookout for ways to use my gift to serve others in the family. Listen, God didn't give you a gift so you could sit at home and say, Lord, thank you for my gift. I'm so blessed that you've given. Oh, I'm going to leave today so encouraged. I feel so much better about myself. God's given me a gift. I'm so valuable to the family of God. God, thank you for my gift. No, God gave you a gift so that you could live not waiting for somebody to say, hey, I need something. God gave you a gift so you could live looking for opportunities to pour, to allow who Christ is in you to be poured through you into the lives of other people. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a situation in the church where somebody didn't get their need met and wondered, why didn't the church do something to meet that need? I know some of you have had that thought because I've gotten your email before, right? Somebody didn't get their need met, and immediately somebody gets upset. Why didn't the church do something? Hey, can, I, can I let you in on something? Has it ever dawned on you that God showed you the need so the church would do something? We are the church. The church is not an address. The church is not an office. Look around you. That's the church. And here's what the Bible says. Every one of us have been grace gifted supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of God. And we're to live our lives looking moment by moment for a way to pour into somebody else's life. I'm responsible to do that. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Listen to this. For the common good. Could literally be translated this. Each one is given the manifestation of the, sp- the Spirit continuously for the benefit of others. We're to continuously look for needs that we can meet. Let me give you a third statement. Serving others is the only right response to the grace of God in your life. Look what he said in verse 10. As each one has received a special gift employed in serving one another. Why? As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word steward here is a very familiar word in first century Greek culture. Almost every household had stewards and servants in the household. The stewards in first century Greek culture in the household were given the responsibility of everything that owned everything that the owner of the house had was entrusted to the steward and the steward understood it was simply his responsibility to manage that which had been entrusted to him he didn't own it he didn't deserve it but he'd been entrusted the management of it here's what peter says you've been given a gift it's a supernatural enablement by the holy spirit of god you didn't earn it You didn't deserve it. You didn't merit it. But by His grace, God's gifted you. And here's your and my responsibility. To steward what's been entrusted to us by looking for ways to serve 
others. And here's the reality. Serving others is really more about my response to the grace of God in my life than it is my response to meeting somebody else's need. You see, it's really not about my responding to the need as much as it's about my being a steward of the grace that God's given me and having the ability to meet that need. Statement number four. Serving others is the overflow of the life of Christ in you. Serving others is the overflow of the life of Christ in you. Remember what we said? The Christian life is who you are in Christ, becoming Christ in you. This is true in serving as well. Look back at verse 11. Let's read it again. He says, whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. You hear what he's doing there? He basically summarizes all grace gifts into two big categories. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. Speaking gifts are things like preaching, teaching, exhortation, evangelism, prophesying, encouragement. All these gifts where it's, it's speaking grace through words. Then there are serving gifts, which is showing grace through action, kindness, hospitality, leadership, generosity. What are these serving gifts? He says there's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. But he says it doesn't matter where your gifting falls. If it's speaking... Speak as though it were the utterances of God, Christ in you. If it's serving, serve according to the strength which God supplies, Christ in you. Then look what he says. Go back to verse 11. So that in all things God may be glorified through you. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? Through Jesus Christ. Wait, wait, Wait a minute. I'm to speak, I'm to serve, and God's glorified through Jesus. How's that happen? Here's how it happens. Through Christ in you, living through you, we bring glory to God. God is not glorified by me doing something for him. Listen again. God is not glorified by me doing something for him. God is glorified when Christ in me is living through me and it looks like serving others. You see what glorifies God in your life and mine is not me or you. It's Jesus. It's who we are in Christ, becoming Christ in us. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, serving others is who Jesus is. He said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. So to the degree that I'm allowing Christ in me to live through me, guess what it looks like? Serving others. Why? Because it's who he is. It's why he came. Serving others happens out of the overflow of my love relationship with Jesus. Here's the fifth and final principle. God is glorified when Christ in me is serving others. That's what we are just talking about. So that in all things, God is glorified when Christ in me is serving others. So let me give you the big idea as we close. I want to put it back up on the screen again. I want you to see it. Here's the big idea. 
spiritual living sees the church not as a place that exists to meet my needs, but as a community where Christ in me can meet the needs of others. What are you? How do you see the church? Do you see the church as a fill-up station? Or do you see the church as a place where you can be filled so that you can pour? I want you to think about something with me for a moment. Because I want to close today a little differently. We're not going to stand and sing. I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment. But I want you to think about this idea of, of, of receiving. Let's just say on average that you attend a service three out of four times a month. Let's just say it's average. So in the course of a year, to make it a nice round number, that's about 35 times a year that you would attend one of our services. Our services run hour 20, hour and a half. So let's just use the hour and a half number. So an hour and a half, 35 weeks a year. Now, I realize that for a lot of people, the weekend event is not just a time to be filled. There are a lot of people that are doing this. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this going on here, right? There's a lot of moving parts happening. But for many of us, this is really a primary time when we get filled. Let's say you use the same number, 35 weeks a year, and you go to small group. And again, in small group, a lot of people are pouring out, meeting needs. But for a lot of people, they come to small group with their bucket, right, their pot. Ready to be filled again. So, so if we run that, that number, let's just say 35 weeks a year, you're an hour and a half in small group, hour and a half in service. It's three hours, 35 weeks. That comes out to 105 hours a year. 105 hours a year that through Hope Church you're being filled. Here's what I want to challenge you to think about as a minimum. What if, what if all of us started seeing ourselves like this? We have over 2,000, we'll just say 2,000 adults, teenagers, college students that, that attend our services every week. If you had kids and everybody in, it's 2,500 plus. But let's just say 2,000 adults to make it, again, a nice even round number. What if, what if 2,000 people said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invest and pour at least as many hours as I'm poured into. I do it. Let's make it even easier than that. Let's cut it in half. Again, to, to use a number that makes it a little bit more round, let's just say instead of 105 hours, I'm going to do 52 hours. I'm going to give at least half of that time back in service. So 2,000 people, if this year 2,000 people served 52 hours. You know what the magnitude of that is? It's 104,000 hours. If you do the math, that's 11 years. That means next year, 
God through us could meet 11 years worth of needs if we all just poured half as much as we're poured into. And don't mishear me. Listen, I know we got some people at hope. You are this. And I, listen, as a pastor, I thank God for you. I hope you hear this today as an encouragement for the way you're allowing Christ in you to live through you. But we got some of these too. What if we all went from this to living this? That's what Peter's talking about. When, when, you, when you're living spiritually, you begin to see the church not as a place that exists to meet my needs, but as a community where I can be used Christ in me to meet the needs of others.